0: I take a lot of my learning and inspiration around networks from the field of permaculture. Really that notion in sustainable agriculture, right, that you're not just being called to intervene in a system in a mechanical way, but Mm -hmm. to sort of honor what's already in place, the root system that's already there. And you can think of the social equivalence of that.
1: Hey, Yoshi, how you doing?
2: Hey, good. How are you?
0: I'm great.
1: You know, I'm great. We're, you know here to actually talk about networks this time, right? We're bringing in that our- hot word. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> you know, it's, it is a hot word. It and is. You know, we had our own story around network. Remember before we were the move, we were talking about ourselves as a civic design network. Mm-hmm. And we kind of figured no one would ever listen to a podcast called the Civic Design Network. So we kind of scrapped that word. The URL bar was too long. <laughs> yeah, the URL was too long, you know, uh, which is kind of interesting because can your network be too long? You know, but the word can be too long. A
2: politician would say no. Yeah, he could say (laughs)
1: no. But it's funny, you know, that whole evolution and, you know, about this word, it means things in different contexts. I mean, Mm -hmm. what was it Tao said about networks?
2: Tao was really interested in rethinking the word network, right? I mean, he thought, coming from a South African context, that the word network didn't really embody the kind of relational nature of what happens at the community level.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like he, and I think he was looking at it more in terms of, you know, what's happening in this country. People are mm-hmm. talking about networking, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to networking. Social networks. Yeah, and... social networks and networkings. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, I hear that, I think of it like, you know, those words are like the gentrification of networks, right. you know?
2: <laughs> right. I think of like telecoms, right, networks and routers, obviously, big space. But I think really, I'm so excited today to kind of go into the root of the word network and, and kind of decode the way that we see it today. Go back to what it really means—the sort of organic roots of it all.
1: Yeah, and that's where we are today. And uh, you know, our guest today, Curtis Ogden, who's at Interaction Institute for Social Change, you know, he really is about this word and about this work of networks, and really understands it at its core, right. as you say, at its root level. Right. And we've just had such. A great conversation with him.
2: We didn't have a chance to say hello and I read him. He
1: came we, through the door. I know we just jacked, jumped <laughs> in, you know, the conversation. We with were
2: him. like, "Hey, Mr. Network, yeah. how do you feel about this <laughs> stuff?"
1: <laughs> so you know, I think we should do the same thing with our audience. Just like they should experience what we experienced with them. We're just this
2: gonna jump right, throw right them at. in. <laughs>
0: We know networks are organic, right? Because yeah. life, life is right. a network, or it's a network of networks. Right. But it feels like, uh, in some sense, you know, social networks and technology, online networks have kind of co-opted. I don't mean that in some kind yeah. of nefarious way, but that's how <laughs> people often think about networks. But they are very organic, right? They are. So there are a
1: lot of reasons I wanted to have you come with mm-hmm. us. Parker's I've known you for a while, I'll read your blog. You do a lot around this, this stuff around networks. And one of the reasons we've talked about this whole idea of taking the notions of networks and putting them into something that you need to design for, mm-hmm. as you're trying to build a new civic infrastructure, as you're doing kind of civic design, is our notion is that there are these there are these organic things that actually are existing and working already. Exactly, and sometimes you know you have to think about designing not in a way that's about well we have to put that in place. Mm-hmm. But it's more about we have to figure out how we tap into and elevate that. Right, and right. Right, that right, right. And amplify that. And you've right. been doing so much of that
0: work. Mm-hmm. So
1: we've been really trying to make, bring people on the show who are not just like thinking
0: about the work, mm-hmm. but actually just mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And also
1: realizing this ain't easy stuff. It sure
0: is <laughs> sure not. Yeah, that's right, that's right,
1: yeah. So anyway, Maybe you say a little bit about what you're doing, so I Aisha can catch up on who you are.
0: And- yeah, sure. Yeah, what, sure, sure.
2: what is a network to you? Why is this your job?
0: Why is this my job? <laughs> I have so
2: many questions for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's a great question. It's a great question. I, somebody asked me uh, even just yesterday, you know, how'd you get into networks? And I said, they kind of found me. Uh, I didn't find them. I mean, I think that in part, it's this conviction, right? That we've kind of subdivided the world into these compartments and have kind of projected a uh, as if those are those are actually what reality is and so there's a lot of dismantling of those mm. uh, barriers and borders that needs to be done and so to me the baseline of net work is about connection and hmm. often it's about reclaiming and just validating connection and, and I think, you know, not just going in and building networks, but to understand that networks are always there. They may not be as right. robust, as diverse, as intricate as they may need to be for the health of that community, that neighborhood, that institution, but they exist And I take a lot of my learning and inspiration around networks from the field of permaculture that I was introduced Mm -hmm. to about 25 years ago, and really that notion in sustainable agriculture, right, that you're not just being called to intervene in a system in a mechanical way, but Mm -hmm. to sort of honor what's already in place, the root system that's already there, and that uh, when we come in with these interventionist agricultural techniques to churn up the soil, well, we already know that that, it it destroys soil, it it releases carbon into the uh, the atmosphere, and you can think of the social equivalence of that going into community. Disrupting root systems that we may not be able to see, but that are there, and what gets released, right? Maybe stretching this metaphorically, but anger and social angst colonialism. Is social... yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. you're not actually. It actually reminds you because you know I don't know if you know the work of Mindy Fuller Love. Mm-hmm.
1: But mm-hmm. she wrote this book, yep. and she called it Root Shock, yep, for that particular reason about what you know the wow. impact on urban communities of urban renewal, right? Because it disrupted root shock exactly what was in exactly. place, and that right. you know it's right. the shock of you know, from permaculture of actually pulling plants up out by their roots
0: wow. in the wrong way, and
1: then not being able to replant them again. Exactly,
0: and, and it destroys. Right. Wow. Well, it, yeah, over time, it, it, if it loosens that 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 sort of root stock, mm-hmm. you begin to lose uh, nutrients from the soil. Right. So that's what we know is true of huh. mainstream agriculture. And just think about uh, sort of. Heavy handed intervention into community through processes that are disruptive. And so, what gets leached? People's trust, mm-hmm. people's time, which is money. Ooh,
2: what gets leached? Which, which is trust, yeah. all of those yeah. things.
0: And so, The call is really to go in and see with new eyes what's already in place, to know that many of these communities, and of course, you know, those communities that we are often called into to -hmm. to work with are are tremendously resilient already, Mm -hmm. right, in the face of incredible adversity. And so there's a a brilliance and a resourcefulness there, right, in its connections and and what's flowing. So can we first see that? Right, that's the first permaculture principle. Observe, Mm -hmm. stand back, observe Mm -hmm. before you leap in. So I think the original question was, why (laughs) do I do this? I I mean, I just, there's so much about living systems and living networks that I I feel like we are being called to get back in touch with. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think a lot of what's manifesting is a result of a a worldview that's just off and damaging. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And your work is primarily to amplify these Living systems.
0: It is. It is that. I mean, it takes a variety of different forms. So, in the South Bronx, uh, Caesar knows about this work we've been doing for about three years with the City of New York. There is a. Uh, it's a climate resilience planning initiative hmm. um, that's being supported by HUD monies. We had gone into that community about three years ago at the behest of the city because they wanted to initiate a process that would help to build as opposed to erode trust. Hmm. And so it was really actually remarkable in this situation. You don't often get called in to work with municipal leaders who are just like, it wasn't quite blank check, but it was very open. Right, We're going to craft a process that really invites the community in early. Mm -hmm. Uh, to, you know, talk about what matters to them. Mm -hmm. And it actually resulted in a a list of implementation principles Mm. uh, from the community that the process has really taken to, to heart around respecting community Mm. and at the end of the day this is not just about creating seawalls and backup (laughs) energy but it's about creating jobs and Mm. economic resilience i mean these are the things that it's basically honoring the definition of resilience in the community right Right. now that does not mean that every step in the process is easy right so what we've done more recently is to build an engagement infrastructure that honors Mm. some of what's already in Mm. place on the ground so there's a, a neighborhood outreach team, it's neighborhood residents that are paid to do work to engage the community, not just to get them to meetings, but to use art and other kinds of media that are going to be meaningful to the community to continue to listen to um, what's on their minds and amplify their Mm -hmm. voices. So that's one example in a very place-based situation. I'm working with a few networks that are multi-organizational networks that are focused on issues, food justice, sustainability, public health. And so in those instances, it's really about trying to bring a more organic, emergent approach and structure to the work that tries to disabuse people of this idea that you can kind of come in and command and control engage in pure problem solving, mm-hmm. right, that has the problem go mm-hmm. away and then just assume that your work is done. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody once said to me, you know, the problem with problem solving is that once you have solved the problem, you think your work is done. <laughs> uh, we know that things are just c- more complex than that. And so it's about putting into place processes and structures that kind of in a continuous way can adapt and adjust and respond to mm-hmm. things as they come up. So that's, that's, that's the work with Food Solutions wow. in New England, that's the work with the Cancer Free Economy Network and some other, other networks.
2: I love that because as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing that when I think of the word network, I think of something that's a thing, like a noun as opposed to a verb.
0: Mm. But a
2: lot of the work that you're describing to me is, is process building.
0: Right, right. As
2: opposed to family or people building. Which is kind of what I think of when I think of the word network in the social context.
0: Exactly. And
2: that's so powerful because that way you're creating this sort of self sustaining process, which is building trust and in. That process building resilience and in that process building perhaps a network as well. Yeah,
0: yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Something else I say to groups sometimes to some degree of recognition, sometimes people have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's to say that networks are not just a so that. It's not building a mechanism mm. so that we can do that. They just are. They yeah. already are. Yeah. And so it's. it's
2: not a um, means or it's not an, it's not an end. Uh,
0: well, actually. It, it, it could be a means <laughs> end and an end, but the, the point is that, you know, systems are networks. Yeah. And so there's no outside. As we're playing with connection and flow, we're playing with the system. Yeah. Right? We don't stand outside. That's a very mechanistic Mm. connection and flow. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. How do you begin to understand human connection? Especially when you're trying to build process for and with a group of people that you may not be a part of. Yeah. I don't know if you're from the South Bronx, but thinking about the place-based nature of that network building?
0: Yeah. yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly it's about partnering, hmm. really partnering with people on the ground, so to speak, who hmm. know the story of connection, right? Both know about the incredible social capital that's already in place, may know some of the social dynamics, the political dynamics. And so we've got to come in from a stance of curiosity and inquiry. Yeah. Because every community is different. And it's really just about kind of stewarding their thinking uh, Mm. about best ways to kind of structure and 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 set up processing. We certainly have seen, you know, there are certain design principles, right, that can help in most instances. Mm. But Again, to treat every community the same as a mechanistic approach as opposed to a a living system approach. Right. And a lot of it is really to you know make trust building central. Yeah. So so many people want to come to the table and say, when are we getting to action? Right. And understanding that there is real urgency, we can leap to action and just continue to perpetuate the same dynamics over and over and over again. So slowing it down. Inviting people into some authentic relationship building, naming what is really the issue. I mean, I I find that a lot of these network building initiatives, you know, what the issue is uh, on day one or how it's collectively understood is often very different a day a thousand if you get that far. <laughs> so you may walk into a system and people say, well, this this fundamentally is about food production. We need greater mm-hmm. food production in the region. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Three years later, you understand, actually, it's a democracy issue. It's <laughs> an economic democracy issue. Mm-hmm. That's very different. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while for people to build the trust, the relationship, so they can have those kinds of conversations that reveal really what's going on. I'm hearing almost two ways in
1: which you work around this notion of of networks. One is particularly in places that you are going and working with people to kind of, from your own sense, observing in a way that helps people to also identify the networks that they already have in place. Mm -hmm. And then also helping them to kind of pay attention to what's working about that, what's not, what needs repair in it, what maybe need Demolishing in it, you know, all those different kinds of things, and really kind of strengthening that. And then I also hear that you there's another way which you're working with, which is with groups who want to move towards something together to have a network mm. sensibility about how they go about doing that. Work. That's right, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So I wonder we could talk a little bit about just those two different those mm-hmm. two different approaches, mm-hmm. and those two different ways of kind of engaging work. Because, like, well, actually, we said another way because it seems like I, I would think that they they both. Could be involved. So, like, take the South Bronx, and you're you working there. There are m- multiple networks that I imagine that are in existence. And Absolutely. Yeah. So, at some point in time, you have the same problem, right? At the local level, which is how do we get these different networks, players to see themselves connected? That's right. As a network, at the same time, while you're simultaneously getting them to understand the network that is theirs already, mm-hmm. right? You have mm-hmm. both happening. Mm -hmm. You call it micro, micro, macro, you know, you can Mm -hmm. call it that way. Which begins to sound like very confusing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Very dynamic with a lot going on. But at the same time, you walk in and you kind of like, you know some things are at play. Mm -hmm. Right? So how do you like deal with some of the things that you know that are at play where you're also trying to observe? You're also trying to build this capacity. and You know, like, so you know. Okay, I know race is really at play in this race. I know that there's a whole lot going on with misogyny that's really right, breaking right. up these networks and it's not, you know, creating problems here, right? How do you
0: push? Yeah. Listen? Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. Maybe,
1: maybe you have some stories about that or yeah, you,
0: know, you I may mean, feel
1: comfortable sharing or not. So.
0: Yeah, right. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, there definitely is a balance between sort of meeting people where they are and then... Kind of pushing them along. I'm going to do a sort of this hand gesture that people listening will not be able to (laughs) see. But I was reminded once when I was in divinity school that Mm. when you engage in pastoral care with community, it's first about holding them, but then it's also nudging Mm. them. You know, just kind of gently pushing them in a certain direction, sort of challenging in a helpful way around growth and development. So I think at the outset to push people can be very presumptuous if you don't understand what's going on. And mm-hmm. so I think it is really to come in first and foremost with a stance of humility mm. and listening and inquiry. But then to know that while every community is different, we all live in the same country, right? When you do a systemic analysis, guess what it takes you down to, right? The roots of power, power differential, racism, systemic you know, othering we know that that's in play in, in all of these situations. So you hope it comes up on its own because that's an indication that there's a trust in the room or that people feel like this is a place where they can actually make those statements. But then there's just very strategic inquiry that we can do, Mm. asking questions about power, Mm. or just saying plainly. right? We know that power is part of the equation, so what does that look like here? How Mm. does that play itself out? And there there are, of course, so many attending considerations in terms of how that's done in such a way that it's not ultimately damaging or damaging for, let's say, a certain Part of the community or the network, right? Mm -hmm. So, not just like blowing things up and then walking away. (laughs) So, it's delicate. Yeah. But we definitely know in our role at the Interaction Institute, it is not to come in with a stance of neutrality in the sense that, you know, if power isn't mentioned, it's our obligation Mm -hmm. to say that is a big piece of what we're here to do. You know about our collaborative lens at IASC. So we know that in building collaborative capacity, you have to name power. You have to work toward ex- equity and inclusion. And, and to not have that is, is damaging.
1: It's interesting because to be able to do that, and I'm thinking about some of our audience out here who are folks inside these agencies and stuff, right, who may be saying, oh, you know, I really want to kind of be more engaged with our community that way. Inside the bureaucracy, that's a hard mm-hmm. place to it is. be. If you right. have that role, yes, and you're trying to trying to connect. You have thoughts about what are the micro, what are the little steps people can take to feel like, well, at least I'm starting to just step there, even though I can't do the whole thing.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think that there is a place for third party, you know, mm-hmm. facilitation and intervention, yeah. but not to become overly reliant on that. I mean, I think the idea is that you know we need to start building more of these these bridges so that pe- people can have authentic conversation about what's really going on. And so one of the things that we've, I was joking with one of my colleagues, Michael Primo, that we've been called in to do this work in community and do these community meetings in a very different way. And of course, you know, there are all these kind of bells and whistles that you can bring to a community meeting in the name of being innovative. And really what What's innovative about what we do is we try and just take a lot of those conventions away so Mm. people can just see each other and talk very organically. Mm -hmm. So it's just a conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you go to a public hearing, there's so many layers of separation. There's not really a conversation. So it's trying to make it as organic as possible. So I would say that those are some of the the baby steps that can can be taken is what would it mean to be more authentic and real in the way that we engage with one another. I know that can feel threatening, right? It feels like in some cases maybe we're giving up power that uh, we feel like is in our interest to preserve so that we can do our jobs if we're in a bureaucracy. And of course, bureaucracy tends to want to push back on those kinds mm-hmm. of more organic ways of engaging. But we also see that bureaucracy can be incredibly. Damaging, right? Right. When it sort of reduces the proximity between decision makers and, you know, where action is happening. So think about what proximity could look like in your work, cutting through abstractions so that we're treating anybody as a sort of a stereotype, right? How can we really see one another in real ways?
1: Actually, I, I love that idea of the innovation. In some sense, maybe to do nothing, <laughs> to strip away. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're,
0: yeah. I, I think I tweeted this at one point. We said sometimes the innovation is just the human touch. Yeah. Mm. It's just being human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's just being vulnerable. I mean, there was a. I probably shouldn't say what the what the organization or initiative was, but there was a very powerful moment in a public meeting that we were facilitating where people were getting kind of worked up, you know, kind of a typical dynamic of community residents not trusting the city and the city feeling frustrated because they didn't understand that they were trying to do right by the community, but there was all this bureaucracy. And I knew that to be the case. Things got to such a boiling point that actually one of the city people kind of let that out and said, we're trying to do right by you, right? But this is what we're dealing with. And it was this kind of breakthrough moment where one of the community (laughs) organizers stepped up in that moment of vulnerability and said, that's so helpful to hear. We want to help you with that. Mm. We want to help you with that. Right? Right. So those little moments of vulnerability and being real, I mean, they can be really scary. Yeah. But they can be breakthrough too.
2: Yeah. I think that's one thing on the government side. I mean, just hearing you talk about this, I will say I have like my hair bristling and all of my like previous experience with working inside government and just like coming to a front. I'm like, oh no, that job was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason was because you're not only dealing with the power dynamics and trust issues on the community front, but also those internal right. to the organization. Yep. And those feed off each other because the people that work for the city, especially if it's a city municipal level agency, are often people that are also in the community. Right. And vice versa. Right. 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 So you're not, it's not like there's a clear duality between, oh, I'm a, not a resident. I just work here.
0: Right. And yeah.
2: so things are personal. Yes. And what you were saying earlier about a lot of the reason why people refuse to take off that hat and not speak from talking points and be authentic comes from this threat. This like survival sort of instinct, mm-hmm. which then makes me think, well, what would be the ways to to reduce that feeling of threat? And I'm wondering whether the holding you were talking about earlier comes into play there. And I wonder what holding government looks like. How do you hold an organization, not, not just the people, the community that you're working with, but how do you actually hold the bureaucracy and be gentle? Yeah. Because the red tape is kind of inevitable with an organization as large right, right. as most municipal agencies are. Yeah, yeah. And yet they require a certain degree of, sort. I don't know, I, I like to think of it as organizational therapy, yeah. right? Like radical self-acceptance, right, right, right. <laughs> but for the organization, <laughs> right, as opposed to for the individual. Because yeah. if you're like I was, you know, an entry-level associate equivalent for government, I don't really have much actual formal power. So what do I do?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're touching on something that I think is really important and hard, right? Because in most situations, the story is government does not understand the people, right? There's kind of a coldness to that. Right. And I've discovered with you know some of my colleagues who have been doing community organizing for a long, long time that it is a two-way street, right? right? And in some instances, we've found that we've really got to work with the community. To see these city officials as human and to sort of have a bit of empathy for the real systemic constraints with which they are operating. Yeah. Which I think is another very helpful step that you can take. Mm -hmm. And I actually do this with every network Mm -hmm. building initiative that I do now, as of a few years ago, which is as soon as we can get constraints on the table. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're coming to do this collaborative work, but what are some of the real or at least perceive constraints that you're operating with. Yeah. Because if those aren't named, then we project those as being personal. Right. Right? Right. It's because Aisha does not want to right. replay. Really right. It's because Caesar at the end of the day, this is just a job for him. <laughs> and yet, you know, well-meaning public servants go back to their institutions, their bu- bureaucracies and f- wrestle and fight, mm-hmm. you know. So, can we have at least some empathy mm-hmm. and some compassion, Understand that continues to be a big power differential? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. But if there's not a little bit of give on both sides, it feels like it's mm-hmm. and you're just at loggerheads. Mm-hmm. Something else I was just going to mention as you were talking, Ayesha, that came to mind was just an observation that bureaucracy has kind of saddled itself with so much responsibility mm-hmm. that I feel like in many ways, bureaucracy and hierarchy has lost sight of what it is most functionally capable of doing. Hmm. And so there's this network principle mm. of subsidiarity where you push decision making as close to the point of action and implementation as you can. And I often won't wonder you know, if there isn't work to be done within agencies to think about what is the decision mm. making they need to do, minimally in some sense, mm-hmm. yeah. that then can push decision making... As close to the point of action. Exactly. Yeah. Because oh, at the end of man. the day, I mean, as crazy as yeah. this may sound, yeah, what if the job, yeah, was to help build democratic capacity and civic capacity?
2: Oh man, preach to.
0: <laughs> this is actually preach part
1: that. of what we've been we've been talking yeah. a lot to folks about, yeah. about this notion about, in some sense, the work of, the work of government or bureaucracies of or organizations that actually are in relationship to the public that they actually have the responsibility of building the public's. Also for democracy. Right. 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 Everything they do with the public should do that. It should strengthen that so that it's not one person's responsibility. It is their interaction with right. all of the things that are continually reinforcing yep. their role. Yeah. Within the context of democracy.
2: One thing that we would talk about along those lines as well when I was working at this city agency was the way that we'd kind of envision what you just said about rethinking the the muscle or rethinking the governance process within the city itself. Mm. The way that we framed it was not so much designing public services for the public, but also designing the public delivery process for the public servants, for mm. those delivering. Mm. Mm. Because if our our thesis <laughs> was, if the delivering process, the serving process was more empowering, more fun, more engaging, more delightful for the public servant, right. then the service would be better served
0: right? Right. to the community. Yeah. And love right that. now, I it's so
2: difficult for the public servant to actually serve, whether it's because of that distance between the action and the decision-making, the decision-maker, or whether it's because of other forms of internal, maybe informal politics mm-hmm. within the community that impact the people that are working the jobs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It makes it really difficult for people who are well intentioned to actually go through and do their job. Absolutely. Right, and yeah. then the, you perpetuate this government is lazy trope, and oh well, they don't really care about us, right or, oh they don't really know what public engagement looks like. Right, you know,
0: right. right, right. Yeah. No, I think you're right on. Yeah. I
2: love the synthesis of that is decision making as close to the point of action.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that requires a fair amount of um, what's the word I'm looking for transparency for sure well transparency, transparency but I think also you know reflection on part of these mm. yeah. Uh, yeah bureaucracies and it feels like we're on this treadmill right and sort of the busyness is one of our worst enemies because it mm. doesn't really allow people to uh, you know step back and be reflective but it's also clear that you know oversaddled bureaucracies and organizations and institutions need to let go of something so that they can do their job better yeah and that's where I think this idea of networked, Infrastructure mm-hmm. can come into play.
2: What do you mean by that?
0: Right. Well, I just think that there is, I'll give you this example. I'm just actively playing with this in, in different systems and you know a constant pain point i hear is that organizations institutions are just overburdened right with work mm-hmm. whether you're talking about public schools whether you're talking about right. hospitals you're talking about other organizations and what i feel like is missing in some cases is the interstitial tissue between institutions and organizations that would help oh. to relieve some of the burden oh. so you know community health workers are becoming a thing and there's uh, where i am in western massachusetts There's been this move to hire community health workers, Mm -hmm. um, not just solely to provide services to patients or those who are seeking services, but to the institutions Mm. so that they can kind of be this
2: liaison liaison, between the community. Exactly, and help people
0: to navigate the system Mm. and relieve some of that burden Mm. on the institutions. And I feel like there is a whole, you know, networks. Of course, operate in very informal ways. Uh, it seems like we could formalize mm. some of that kind of functionality mm. in the field of, of networks. It's called network weaving, mm. right? What What are some of the weaving functions mm. uh, that we could formally support mm. to relieve the burden, but also to create more resilient systems? It's still forming, but yeah, no, it's really, yeah. really important. I know out in that area. Some years ago, I was working
1: in, in Springfield yeah. in, in the North End, yeah. and they had a really robust kind of community health worker program they called NEON, North End Organizing Network. that were basically people who were health workers who mm. they had a schedule that they went through making sure they could hit every door every month, mm. right? And they had enough. They had like 12 of these folks in their neighborhood and divided, the system. but when they went, it wasn't just to check up on a relationship to a particular health issue. They were there to kind of observe what was going on, to help people connect to other things. Yep. They didn't even know that they needed, yes. or wanted. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. It became that kind of social threat.
0: Yeah, that's right. I like that social. Th- yeah, you
1: yeah, know, yeah. in the community, and you know, these workers would come back and they would talk about what they were seeing. They would be able to say, you know, so and so needs this. I saw that. They would help them make that connection. Right. And one of the problems with all of that was the way the systems are set up. There was actually nothing to actually pay for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? They had to find other ways to pay for that, even though they found out, you know, sometime later that actually that was actually saving <laughs> money Exactly, the system. Right. Right. right? <laughs> it was saving the system a lot of money because it was preventing so much. It was creating greater efficiency. Exactly. But Folks didn't necessarily see that to begin
0: right, with. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a great, another great example. And it just, I think it's just emphasizing the need for people to develop more of a networked way of seeing, right? right. Because it's, there's a way in which that is still diminished in terms of the value that's added. It makes me also think about another network that I've been working with, which is an education network. So it's a network of schools. And a, and a critically important role they have that is very, very valued are coaches that work with schools. Mm-hmm. And yet it's interesting how the coaches are often identified for their content knowledge. But it's not just the content knowledge. When they tell their stories, it's often about making connections between schools, right? Mm. Finding other districts mm-hmm. that are dealing with similar challenges, mm-hmm. which, you know, again is a is a way of preventing those schools from having to go through the same kind of challenges right. without some kind of support. I think there, there are probably examples in every every <laughs> field <laughs> you can yeah, imagine. Yeah. And so how can we validate that, value it, support it?
2: That's hearing you talk about codifying the informality of network processes and then you providing an actual anecdote, a real life happening of people not being paid despite them saving dollars on efficiency, you know, something I was coming up earlier was we were talking about trust as well. And I was like, how do you, it all ties it all together now in my head, how do you quantify trust? Right? Because I mean, a lot of the way that money currently gets passed around is because of metrics, better metrics. I put money in as a foundation and the output is better something. And we've struggled with that in other places. Like I think, you know, um, carbon emissions, it's kind of hard to quantify something that's temporally so far away mm-hmm. and is not visible. Mm-hmm. And I think about the same thing with trust. I mean, I don't know that trust, it's both temporally far away, also hard to see. And, you know, how do you quantify that? Is it more birthday parties you're invited to? Like, mm. like, you know, what? How does I, what? Yeah. How how would you get that paid for? How would you get a community health program, health workers program get paid for How would you train a series of educators that are looking for the network's connections among education institutions. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think it begins with storytelling. I think it's 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 to turn to some of these powerful examples. So qualitative of, metrics. Well, I think it has to begin there. I mean, first yeah. of all, I think that story is what's most compelling for most people. Yeah. Uh, so actually, part of what I'm doing is collecting as many of these stories as I can. Um, mm-hmm. Most recently, you know, story of a network in Connecticut that's brought together all of these family liaison professionals in different high needs districts who have felt very isolated in their jobs and very misunderstood. And they've created this amazing thing called Friday Cafe, where Hmm. they bring these coordinators together and they'll get 50, 60 people coming together from around the state and they'll move it around and they'll have a little mini TED talk that one of the practitioners gives. And they've had these really cool themes like innovation Mm -hmm. or using art around engagement. And people feel restored, right? They feel rejuvenated, they feel respected. That translates into, right? greater engagement once they go right. back, right? I mean, now somebody out there has got to surely be able to create something that can quantify them, <laughs> you know. But I think intuitively we know yeah, what it means to be depleted and discouraged versus feeling supported and what that translates into, you know, good work and contribution.
1: Well, this has been great. I know we're <laughs> close to our time. No. But, oh, I know. That, uh, but uh, I really, Chris has been it's been great having you with us, talking to us. I can't wait to get this out to folks to and see what kind of conversation you know. And you've given us a lot of references in your talk. We might have to get back to you about some of those, so we actually have them down. We can link to them. So yeah, we can definitely. To them and everything, definitely. And stuff like that.
0: But any last thing that you'd like to say to us? I mean, thank you. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I think a couple of these mantras that I keep putting in front of different groups and and, and keep in my own head uh, to kind of nurture this different way of seeing are just to, to remind ourselves that connection is fundamental, right? Connection is fundamental. Mm. Connection is a social determinant of health, right? Of individual and social health. Can we really take that seriously? Can we really look for evidence of that? And just keep asking ourselves what connection and flow could Mm -hmm. do to create the kinds of community and society we want. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Wow, that was amazing.
1: Yeah, that was quite something. And, you know, we started out this whole thing about networks and Mm -hmm. trying to redefine them, as you said, and, you know, where he took us, you know, it's really at the heart of where we are around connections. Yeah. It's the interstitial yes. materials of our life yes, and our relationships to each other yep. that are really the things that we have to nurture.
2: And it's almost shocking how little time I think we spend thinking about that interstitial sort of tissue, you know, between people, whether it be as individuals, as co workers, as, you know, different least structured in their power dynamics between, you know, government and community, et cetera. And a lot of the conversation about that he was talking about, you know, how do you quantify trust? How do you think about things that are unquantifiable and are so far in the future, and yet so important to the here and now? It leaves me wondering all the work that I need to do, you know, right. in investing in this sort of tissue.
1: Well, it's funny, because I you know, also think it's, I'm going to ask you, you know, ask you to, yeah. to also be easy on yourself. Because I think part of what he's also saying is, yes, there's work we all have to do, but it's also work we are doing we have to recognize. Mm. And that that's part of what we're not doing. That if we just recognize that part of what's at work here is that, yeah. and just turn our attention to it a little bit more, turn our gaze to it a little bit more, yeah. it'll get better. Right, We'll get better at it.
2: Right.
1: When we're out of that connection, that interstitial material, we know it because things are so bad. Yeah. Things are so disruptive. Things are, you know, we feel it in our bodies all the time. Yep. And we don't feel that all the time, right? Yeah. We may have issues we're dealing with, things that are troubling, but if we're able to just like pay attention to that a little bit more, and you know, it sounds a little abstract, but you know, in the work of bringing communities together and working with people, it's just you know that paying attention to those little things. Yeah. Just those little connections. That's why it's funny to me, like how, in a meeting, for example, in kind of a tr- traditional planning board meeting, the board is sitting up front and people are sitting in the audience, mm-hmm. and that just serves to disconnect. Mm-hmm. And if you're paying attention to that interstitial, how important it would be if, even if they were started out by sitting amongst people, right and then moved up there that connection could travel with them. Mm-hmm. But if you travel, start without that connection, mm-hmm. it's hard to make it.
2: You kind of lost half the battle already. Yeah. Right. And, you know, some of this talk about the the importance of social connection, as you're pointing out, not just in the workplace, but as a determinants of public health, right? Yeah. As a determinants of human mortality <laughs> in a variety of studies across the world. You know, I'm thinking about a book that just came out with Eric Kleinberg, And he talks so much about this sort of social infrastructure that is missing in the urban environment because there's so much attention being placed on the sort of spatial nature of buildings. Yes. And the sort of physical nature of the city, but not so much on this tissue, not so much on the social relationships that might be damaged as you move one community to a completely different location.
1: Yeah. That's about what Mindy Fuller-Love talked about in her exactly. book, Root Shock, about what happens when you move people up. And it's interesting. you know, exactly. She talked about that from the standpoint of urban someone renewal, who, of urban renewal yeah, but yeah. someone who looked at it from a psychological standpoint, right. not just thinking about jobs lost or mobility lost. Her notion of what people have to struggle with is the same thing a plant has to struggle with. Right. When you pick it up out of its soil yep. and move it somewhere else. Yep. And the shock that's in the system. Yep. And the care that's needed to actually make sure it flourishes in a new environment. And that notion, you know, what is the care that we need to be taking in our social systems as we are remaking our cities? Yes. Right? Yes. As people are changing and shifting where they are.
2: Right.
1: Is as important, if not more important.
2: Yep. What is our sun and water for the urban organism?
1: What is our sun and water <laughs> for the urban organism? That's it. This has been wonderful. I'm really so glad we had this conversation oh, yeah. with Curtis. And next week
2: is our final episode. I know. I'm doing a little drum roll until <laughs> so people can hear it.
1: <laughs> I know. So next week, join us. We're going to do a recap of what's been happening here and our broad work around these design principles. And hopefully it will help you make sense of all of this together and certainly will help us in thinking and talking through it with you. So join us again at themove.mit.eu. I'm Cesar McDowell.
2: I'm Ayush Yerboy. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Till next week. Bye-bye.